0: Turning to Matthew three. All right. In those days. Came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it, it's, it's interesting here, I think, if you look at verse 4, uh, the same John, uh, how was he dressed? Well, he had this raiment of camel's hair. Uh, I can't imagine that would be real comfortable. Oh, Yeah. Raymond of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Mm. Uh, apparently, uh, locusts can uh, taste pretty good if you prepare them right. Uh, I, don't thought, I don't know if you're doing like locust tacos or anything, but, um, and wild honey. But I think it's fascinating that uh, if you look back in Second Kings, and I just I put that up there so you could kind of see those together. Uh, Second Kings, and they answered him and said, "This prophet that's out there, he was a hairy man and girt with a le- girdle of leather about his loins." And he said, "It is Elijah the Tishbite." Okay, now why? Why would why would it look like John the Baptist is kind of wearing the same garb as Elijah? He is, there's a forerunner going on here, and even though uh, uh, for John he is going to be a, the he's kind of the spirit of Elisha or Elias, Elias the forerunner, uh, but that, that is kind of along with Elijah, trying kind to of begin to put these two together. Okay, so you think this was uh, deliberate? Yeah, I think so. Enough that, if you look at it, uh, John had this raiment of camel's hair. Five. Then went out to him Jerusalem. All Jerusalem started going out. And all Judea. And all the region round about unto Jordan. Why? Just this, if there's this crazy guy in the wilderness, why would there be this movement out towards him to hear, hear what he's doing? Watch what he's doing. It is different. There is a sense... Yeah, there is a Messiah and there's things going on, especially if he's looking like Elijah and they have this history. If you study Torah and you're studying the, the books of the Old Testament and we have this history of Elijah... <laughs> and I, have a, I have a hard time not kind of seeing when Enoch was out preaching, and the people would say, "There's a strange thing in the land. Let us go out and see. Let's, let's hear what's going on here." It's just that sense. Was he a Levite? Who? Uh, John? That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Remember, he, and he would actually be of the. anybody know what quorum John would be in? Corum Abia. Like his, like his dad. Okay? So, he's out there preaching. Now, the fascinating thing for me is we tend to call him John the Baptist. Baptism was only a very small portion of what he did. Most of the time he was preaching. We'd, we'd almost be better off calling him John the preacher. But we call him John the Baptist. But a lot of look, there was a gospel being taught by John. He had followers. He, had, he was building a, a gathering, and they were following him, and they were coming to him. Had to be forward, sure. And what he's saying to them, and, and what message would he be preaching? Jesus is, Jesus is coming. Yeah, he's coming. One greater than I is coming. Get ready, get prepared, get baptized. Okay. Okay. How did baptism fit in this? Did they not do it before? And what was this movement? Was it a new church, or what? What was this? Ah, there you <laughs> go. Okay, so he is so he is baptizing, which the, there was there was what little bit we know is that there were groups out there that would do ritual cleansing. So that there were the Essenes and some of those around the Dead Sea Scrolls area and those that we have found. Uh, did a ritual cleansing, but it wasn't a baptism, but it was an all immersion kind of thing, because uh, John was actually doing it in the river, and so part of the preaching was that they were having to be taught about baptism. Were they being baptized into a church? No, they were being baptized unto repentance. Okay, uh, and and what? No, there's no confirmation yet. This is that's because baptism then, has baptism now, baptism is in essence is a covenant that we're making. Baptism says we've we've been we've been taught. Remember how the, the it always works. There's a teaching, there's accepting of a covenant, and then there's something that we do to demonstrate that we made that covenant. That's what the temple is, a series of that. Well, this is the same thing. There's a preaching. I accept it, and I will do something to physically accept that I've made a covenant. And that's what this baptism was. Now, uh, uh, let's the, the best way to look though what's going on with John the Baptist, and it's just kind of fascinating, is uh, we have several, remember we talked last time, there are little bits of the, the book of John the Baptist, and we have a, part of it in section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, And in the Joseph Smith translation of uh, John. Book of John. So I want to go to that one. And I I just, I I put the link on there. John 1, 1 34. And this is actually the the, uh, Joseph Smith translation. Verse 20. And this is the record of John. When the Jews... The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Uh, So so there's a movement going on here. And so now you're going to have members of the Sanhedrin and the ruling class saying, we better send some people out there to find out what's going on. What's, What's going on out there? I don't know. We'll send some emissaries out there. And listen to this discussion. This is the record of John. The Jews sent priests and Levites. So... Better off to send some guys who maybe understand what he's doing Levitically to ask him. And the question is what? Who are you? I love that. Who are you? Now, but, but they had some questions. There are some possibilities here. Who are you? And, and he confessed and, and denied not that he was Elias. Now, in the Bible, it'll say that that he said he wasn't. This this had to be turned around by Joseph Smith. And denied not, yes, I am Elias, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, listen to their next question. And they asked him, How then art thou Elias? And then they understood. There are going to be several Eliases. If If you're Elias, which one are you? Now we have to find, if you're Elias, which one? Ah. Now listen to this question. And he said, I am not that Elias who was to restore all things. Which Elias would that be? To restore all things. Joseph Joseph Smith. I am not him. Meaning, I take it that, there was a tradition among the Jews that there would be an Elias who would restore all things. Okay? I'm not him. Oh! Art thou that prophet? Nope, not. I'm not. Oh! To 23. Then who harmed you? Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that said we have to report back to the Sanhedrin... You've got to tell them, okay, you say you're an Elias. Which Elias are you? Now, he's going to tell them there is a specific Elias that he is, right? Now, to do that one, he's going to say, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, that is a very specific Elias. Let's drill down one more time. Isaiah 40 three through five. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is going to make a prophecy. He's going to say, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There will be an Elias who will come, and this is what he's going to preach Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then specifically. So so actually John is saying, I'm that Elias that Isaiah preached about. You can find me being prophesied about. That's a pretty bold plan. That's even more amazing than the one that's going to restore everything. Wait a minute, the one Isaiah saw you? Yeah. You're the locust eater. <laughs> you know? You're not even you're not even hanging out in the temple. You're out in the wilderness. You're the locust eater. And you're not even wearing the fine linen of the priest class. You're wearing a leather uh, uh, gird around your loins. You're that one? I'm saying that I'm that one. Isaiah said I was coming. Here I am. Now, let me, let me, there, let me divert this a little bit here. Because want, I want you to hear exactly what he's saying. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. How do we do that? Now he's going to give you a little bit more information. And then let me ask again. What will that look like? Well, verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So apparently he's saying make straight so the so the righteous are supposed to be some kind of road grader, uh, road builder thing and turn it all into Kansas, right? <laughs> Basically reducing the resistance. Okay, well let me get, so if this, it, it wouldn't make sense to say okay we're going to turn everything into Kansas, right? What is he really saying? What does it mean then to say I'm going to make straight, and then define that saying? That means that we're going to we're going to exalt the valleys, we're going to lower the hills and the mountains. And you're saying wants to lower the resistance? Okay. We can talk about peace. Okay. Ah, now you're thinking. In what way? Well, exalt the like the those that are humble, like those that are eating locusts. Yeah. Okay. Those that Right. Ah, so how do we do that so if you're going to make straight the way of the Lord okay so what will how will missionary work do that truth does that truth does what Now I will throw into this. There was a tradition uh, out there that says if you have a visiting potentate, a king, a prince coming to visit, there was something where they would physically try and make the road straight. You know, the roads were awful back then, and they may enlist the aid of a lot of people to uh, to straighten out the road a little bit so that it's so there's not as much resistance. It's an easier path. Why? Because we want the king to have. An easy path in to come into us, right? Okay, so, exactly. How does repentance do this? How does missionary work make straight? Well, when you're teaching the truth to people, you could, like, the general authorities and the general authorities, they're teaching this, and we know where we're at. I mean, this is the path. We may be over here, and this person may be over here. And we hear the truth, and we Ourselves to that path. Oh, so sometimes these high places and these low places could be people. They need to be those that think they're exalting themselves need to be brought down, and those that are really low need to be brought up. What if this was doctrines? Do we have high doctrines? Oh, wow, this sounds like a really difficult thing to try and—it's a very complicated thing to get between us and God. Do we have low places? It's so almost like it's too easy because the gospel requires sacrifices. We're going to talk about here at the end of the lesson. Those have to be brought up. And how about crooked? Yeah. Where in the world did you get that? Where did that, not that we ever do that in the church. Okay. You didn't do that in the church. Where we're just doing this kind of secure route that says we're trying to make this Much harder because the way of the gospel is supposed to be easy. My yoke, he says, is easy, and my burden is light. Don't make this more complicated than it is. And when you get it, it's just so clear. I just watch people sometimes torture themselves trying. Even if you just take this as church, as our church doctrines, trying to make it much harder than it is. It's really simple. I said before, this is where I have a lot of Christian envy for, our, for our, some of our evangelical friends. At the end of the day, you ask them, what do they need to get up every, do, every day and do what? Trust Jesus. Look, just trust Jesus and everything turns out. Sometimes I really like to say that to our LDS congregations. Don't be strange so I'm just trust Jesus. If he says, do something, do it. It's not any harder than that. But no, we're gonna make it more complicated. to do it my way, sort of his way. Yeah. <laughs> Just trust Jesus. Uh, so every valley will be exalted, every mountain shall hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. It, when we if you see it for what it is, the gospel becomes very beautiful and very simple. Okay. And John's saying, Yep, I'm him. I'm the guy preaching this. Okay. Yeah, you know the reason why we make it difficult? It's not that easy for us as Mormons. It's when we hear something that we have to do, we change and trust Jesus. We actually have to do it. We actually have to let it, walk the walk. Whereas others trust Jesus, yeah, it's all in your heart, but then they live normal lives. But with LPS, we realize, that, gosh, we actually have to do it. We we gotta do this, and we gotta follow and. Again, we're going to talk about this more at the end of the lesson. It also means that if we're going to trust Jesus, we have to make the path plain. We've got to, instead of wandering around, we've got to do this. And the gospel is transforming. It, is, it changes us. We cannot be like we're going to find out with Peter and, and, and the fishermen. You're going to be changed. Your life will be different. Um uh, I'm talking. Uh, I get from time to time in my office those that are really struggling with the church, or couples where one husband or wife is really struggling with the church, and because it is such a, a, this is such a lifestyle that is simple. Because when you start to go up past that, and I'm not sure if I believe in the church, and I'm going to do this and everything. It suddenly becomes a lot more complicated uh, and, and a lot harder. or or took him carry to you know, oh, Yeah, you don't get the idea that the rod of iron was kind of secure this one. It was pretty straight. Okay, I like that. Okay, so... Uh, back, back to uh, John. Uh, John the Baptist is saying, I'm the voice of this one. And they who were sent were of the... Pharisees. Who at this time... Um, uh, of the world would make life and the gospel complicated. Oh my gosh! Because remember, they're taking the symbolic and make it literal, or taking the literal and making it symbolic. But mostly, with these guys, it's taking symbolic and make it literal. So now we need to break it down to define that, so we can know that. That's one of the reasons why it is, if we if today we suddenly got rid in Jerusalem. If we went into the, uh, on top of the, the Temple Mount and we cleared out the Dome of the Rock uh, and it was gone, would now the Jews rush en masse up to, to the Temple Mount? No. Why? You don't know where on that, on that sacred ground, the spot for the the... Holy of Holies was. And only the priest is supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. So to go up on the Temple Mount, even if the Dome of the Rock wasn't there, Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews especially, would not go up onto the Temple Mount because you don't know if you're standing where you're not supposed to be standing. It's just They would make the beautiful Gospel much more complicated than what it is. Okay. So, they were sent to the Pharisees, they asked him, okay, now, uh, and then we get this beautiful moment. uh, He said, uh, there's one I'm not worthy. Uh, He's coming. Uh, He shall baptize. Now, he's going to say that Jesus is going to baptize. Let me tell you, I'm going to baptize you with water unto repentance. Will that get rid of your sins? No. This is unto repentance. This is the preparation. One is coming who will baptize you with fire. And then you will be clean. This baptism by water will be half a baptism. It's the preparation baptism by fire will be the cleansing and he's going to baptize you not only with water but with fire and with the Holy Ghost and then the next day is when we're going to get uh, then the Savior comes Uh, John bears record and, and this is again in his writing from the book of John the Baptist somehow afterwards he sat down and he wrote in his journal when he was baptized of me, you see him just kind of the next, maybe that night, sitting there. When he was baptized of me, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him. And then there's an interesting phrase here that for me is, I think is one of those little things. For I knew him. For he who sent me to baptize with water, the same sent unto me, unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, the same as he who baptized with the Holy Ghost. Who sent it? We don't know. could be an angel, could be a Spirit. But he said, whoever, this guy who sent me said that I would know that it is the Savior because okay, isn't that cool? and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Okay, now from the Yeah. So they're related, so know. You would think, wouldn't you? I wondered about that, but apparently there wasn't immediate recognition completely the way that it's written. I would you'd almost have to wonder, given the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. You'd almost wonder if Elizabeth, in the same way that Mary came down and visited her in her pregnancy, did Elizabeth go up for the, you know, for the to visit for a little while? I would think. Is there a possibility that the two knew each other? I would think. We're going to ask the same question, by the way, of Jesus and Peter and Andrew. There's some records that suggest that they kind of grew up together. There was a familiarity between them. But they may never have seen each other, John. But might not have. Wilderness. They may never have seen each other. If we're going to have to hide John out for. A, for uh, most of his life because we're still not sure what Herod's going to do. You're, you're right. Yeah. Well, and partly too, there's one thing, like you can know someone but you cannot know that you're supposed to have this. You know, there could be more of a and then you decide to me that this was the man. Do you think this might have been the moment he knew him but now the Spirit was bearing witness to him to say, he is who you thought he was but now you're filled with the Spirit and now I know him. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense, guys. Uh, it's one of those things again. We're gonna hope. It, don't you want to see this video? In the millennium. That'd be great. Okay. We have a lot of questions.
1: Oh, we got lots of questions.
0: Yeah. All right. So now let's jump from here. Then. So I want you to. I want you to watch how the progression of this works. So the Savior then is now going to begin his, His ministry, and He starts His ministry with being baptized. Okay, And now that He's been baptized, what's the next step for Him? Matthew 4. Now I want to start this. Because I need you to see there are some specific things that the Savior is doing that were foretold by, by the life of another prophet. All things bear witness of the Savior, even the life and example of others bore witness of Him. Okay, Deuteronomy 18.18 18. The Lord said unto Moses, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. The prophet that is coming will do an awful lot of the things that you do. He will be like you. Or, in other words, you will be like him. And I put down just a couple of these. Uh, Moses escaped the infant slaughter. How about about the Savior? Yeah? Moses escaped the infant slaughter. Did the Savior? Yes. Yeah. How did he escape it? He had to go to Egypt. Okay, so both went to Egypt. Both are going to come back, right? Uh, now, when Moses is is kind of getting started as he prepares to teach the people, he goes up on the mountain for how long? Forty days. He's going to fast and prepare himself, okay, and be in communion with God. And we know that he built altars during that time to God. That was part of that that worship of if we're going to worship God, it was given to Adam all the way down the line, you build altars and you worship God. Moses did it, Jacob did it, the Savior will do it. Okay? Now, 40 days, so all of these, so so now we get in the beginning of this then and Jesus was led up of the Spirit unto the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Does that make sense? No. That's why we have the that's why we love the Joseph Smith translation of this. And I put the Joseph Smith translation above it. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit unto the wilderness to be with God. These three temptations that are about to come to the Savior come at the end of the 40 day fast. So what is he doing for 40 days? Communing, learning, being taught, being connected. How much, before he started the 40 days, did he, he still need to learn about from mortality? I don't know, but apparently a lot. There's 40 days being prepared, and he did it by fasting. Okay? All right, now at the end of the 40 days then, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him. Now let, let's stop. If you're trying to do the right thing, when is Satan going to show up and just start to needle you? At your weakest. At your weakest. When you're tired. When you know something great is about to get. Yeah, something great is about to get. There's a big moment. Okay. Now, in the case of the prophet Joseph Smith, Satan hit him the hardest just before the vision, right? Now, it's interesting here that the life of Moses would reflect a lot of the life of the Savior. When Moses has his vision, and it's in Moses 1, we just did it in Gospel Doctrine, he has this great vision, when does does Satan come to him? After After. After the vision, not before. So let me ask you this. In your life, when you've been trying to get answers to prayer, and you've got a big, momentous thing to come, and you finally get your answer, is that a perfect time for Satan to show up? Absolutely. Why? Confuse you? Yeah.